I'll realize like people who do that are getting paid like $20,000 for that like referral. I was like, wait a second, I'm doing all the work, like everything, like, and I'm still giving half to the house, right? And eventually it kind of stopped feeling fair. And I would, I would compare what I was making for my boss and making her rich and what I was taking home. I wish I would have said that I had the courage to like pull a Jerry Maguire and just be like, you know what? I'm out of here and like grab the goldfish, you know, grab, grab my, grab my coworker and just start open up shop down the street. But what ended up happening was. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Profession Session. I'm Brody Vinson, and I'm on a mission not only to define professional greatness through the tactics and qualities behind it, but also to help anyone that's trying to achieve professional greatness do it through the lens of others that have achieved it before them. I couldn't be more thankful for everyone that helps me continue along this mission through being able to do this podcast. And if you've ever gotten any value out of it, I ask only two things in return. If you could share it in the same way that you found it with someone else that you think could get value, it helps me so much. And if you could also just hit the subscribe button if you haven't yet, it helps me so much in just securing better and better guests for the show to share more impactful knowledge with you in this pursuit that we're both on for professional greatness. Today's interview, I talked to John Chintana Road, who is the founder of a coaching program for recruiting companies called Recruiting Accelerator. And they've had success bringing hundreds of people from the point of starting their own recruiting company to making tons of high transaction deals and really creating that financial freedom for themselves through their own company. So we get into the process of him founding his own recruiting company, having come from the recruiting world, and eventually creating this program and scaling it from there lot behind that. And then we also talk a lot about red flags uh, that employers see and look out for when hiring employees. So you'll definitely want to stick around for this. We get into what kind of things you should be preparing for in the current job market, how to stand out in it, how to get hired, and some really insider tips from the recruiting world that you should be leveraging if you want to get hired quickly and in a great position and are looking for a job. So definitely stick around for this. Lots on how he's continually leveled up to the point of doing tons and tons of revenue and having grown this incredible team of about 12 people. So without further ado, let's get into today's interview. John, could you start by giving kind of the context that we need to know to to know about your story, how you got to this point, the early stages. Mm -hmm. um, talk about just a young John entering the career market and how things started out. Yeah, happy to. So after graduation, I really didn't know what to do. And I knew I liked people and I liked sales. I, I was always kind of a, a connector and very interpersonal. And so I, I tried different things in sales, but never really fell in love with anything enough to like see myself doing it for 20, 30 years. Um, but I liked people. So one day I walked into a temp agency, a staffing company looking for a job and they ended up recruiting me to become a recruiter, which is how a lot of recruiters end up you know, into this career because we kind of fall into it. Like no one ever majors in recruiting in college, right? You just, it's something that you didn't even know really existed. Um, and uh, kind of their pitch to me was like, well, John, you like people. And, you know, I remember I was always trying to like make connections for friends. Like if I knew someone was hiring, I knew someone was looking for a job, I'd be like, hey, I know someone looking or you should meet my friend. And I was just always naturally doing that until I realized like people who do that are getting paid like $20,000 for that like referral. 
like recruiters make like 20% of someone's first year salary. So if it's a hundred K salary, then I'm basically doing like $20,000 favors for friends where I can be like, wait, I can like that company would have paid me to hire them. Right. It doesn't come out, come out of the, um, the candidate salary. So I kind of fell into it that way. Uh, worked in recruiting for a number of years, both as a corporate recruiter and as an agency recruiter. Uh, and then eventually started my own agency, um, helping companies find talent, uh, mostly in tech. Uh, and then that evolved into coaching where I started helping my old coworkers who saw that I had branched on my own. I was doing well. Um, after I sold my agency, I was looking for what to do next. And by coaching other people and giving them like the exact game plan I, that took me years to develop through trial and error and seeing them get wins, get clients, get their first couple fees in uh, super quickly, you know, in weeks and months instead of years, it was really kind of just um, amazing, right? Very happy and everyone was happy too. So now it's kind of evolved into a full-blown program where I have a team of over 12 people, uh, six other, you know, four of the coaches plus me. And now we've helped over 200 people over the last four years start their own recruiting business, even if they don't have recruiting experience and they can do it uh, on the side part-time, what we call stealth mode, like under the radar um, until they until their new business takes off and they can kind of go full-time, right? It's kind of like make their side hustle until it becomes their main hustle. And yeah, so we're really proud that we're like, I think number one in this space, in the country now, um, lots of case studies, lots of testimonials really kind of refine this. So yeah, I'm happy to be here, man. I'm happy to have you. Thanks for giving uh that kind of synopsis of of how you got how you've gotten to where you're at now. I think there's a lot of different levels that you went through there, right? You yeah. went through the level of doing the thing for free, not realizing what you were doing, taking that to figuring out how to get paid for it, mm -hmm. going from getting paid to it to getting paid more well yeah. for it. Yeah, yeah. Getting paid more for yeah. it. Uh, eventually going from getting paid more for it to branching out, doing it on your own, figuring out how to do it on your own and taking that and then now teaching other people how to do it on their own. And then even further than that, you've gone to having other people that you've taught how to teach people how to do it on their own. So you've kind yeah. of taken it levels and levels up. Could you talk about those different milestone breakthroughs that you had and how you how you were able to take things up one mm. notch further each time yeah for sure man so when i uh my first recruiting job was in that like staffing agency basically a temp agency and i learned a lot learned quickly and i worked really really hard and i made like, no money i was like what the heck's going on but in staffing for those who don't um, might not realize the way you get paid is uh, you you find companies hourly employees. So you find a company, they'll give you their bill rate. What's the most they're willing to pay per hour? Let's say 40 bucks an hour. Then you got to find someone who's working, who can do that job for the lowest hourly rate. So that way you make the margin a difference. And the company makes that margin. Let's say I find someone that they'll work for $20. Then we make a $20 margin. Then my commission is a small percent of that $20. So really I'm like working for what felt like nickels and dimes, right? Um, so that I thought, okay, you know what? I need to get out of the hourly staffing and instead re do recruiting, which is typically, hour uh, sorry, not hourly, but full-time salary, typically higher level uh, individuals, right? So I went from staffing, a staffing agency to a recruiting agency. So I thought, awesome. Now my commission, instead of being a percent of that, you know, hourly margin, it'll be a percent of a salary fee, right? You know, so a 20K fee is standard. And then my commission will be much bigger because it's it's $20,000. So I was making more money. It was awesome. Um, but then I realized that 
a lot of my commission was going to, I had to split in half, half to me, the guy who founds the, finds the candidates, the recruiter, but half to the sales guy or sales lady who went to go find the client. So, and they had all the control. Like I, I could just talk to a candidate, submit a resume, but ultimately the account executive or account manager, sometimes the owner would be in charge of, you know, advocating for my candidate, following up. And if they didn't do their job, I couldn't get paid. Right. So I felt like my livelihood was dependent on someone else doing their job. Sometimes they're busy, lazy, they forget. And that would kind of drive me crazy because I didn't feel like um, I had control over my business. So anyone that's worked in a, a recruiting agency has probably experienced this at some point where you're following up on account manager to follow up on the client and you're like, they're the middleman and you're the, you know, it's like different layers and you have no direct access to the the client. So I thought, you know what, forget recruiting agencies. Let me go to corporate recruiting. I heard that's super easy. It's like a cushy job. Um, you get to pay a nice salary. So I went to go from a recruiting agency to work at Google as a corporate recruiter where I don't have to worry about commissions or clients. It's just one company and I'm just finding people for them. And I loved it, right? Like it, it's a mountain view here. I live in San Francisco. So I took the Google bus, had my Google backpack. And this is the heyday, like eight years ago. So I had like, it was amazing. Go by food, little Razor scooters. We played volleyball during lunch break. It was like a blast, right? And I was getting paid six figures too. So I'm like, I'm never gonna leave here. Like I was uh, so, so happy um, until I realized like it's not all sunshine and rainbows either, right? The grass is always greener. So um, whereas I didn't have to worry about commissions, but I was just slammed with like, dozens of roles to hire different department heads to like report to and i was just all of a sudden my hour-long like chill lunch breaks became 10 minutes of me like stuffing food in my mouth so i can get back to my desk so that way i don't get fired right it's, it's, it was very very high stress and in the meantime some old co-workers really climbed the ranks in their agency businesses and they like end up were making two or three times more than me because with recruiting agencies it's uncapped commissions like the more you more people you get hired, the more commission you make. It's kind of like a real estate agent, right? Some those people can make a lot of money if you perform well. So I thought, you know what? Let me. I was getting burnt out from corporate recruiting, so I said, let me get back into the world of recruiting agencies. But I would only do it if I can have control over both the client and the candidate, right? I can do both sides of the deal and make, you know, less. I, I want. I wouldn't have to give up half my commission. And so, as luck would have it, I got headhunted to uh, lead a division uh, for a tech division for established recruiting company in San Francisco. I got brought on. I kind of grew a team. We did well. And there, like I was making lots of commission because now like I was getting the clients, getting the hiring manager, having them sign a fee agreement, then going out and recruiting a candidate. And I was doing all the work. So I was getting paid a lot of it too. I got half commission. So for every 20K deal that came in, I kept 10K. So I'm like, this is awesome. Uh, but the problem was like, as a logical human being, I was like, wait a second, I'm doing all the work, like everything, like, and I'm still giving half to the house, right? And eventually it kind of stopped feeling fair. And what I would compare what I was making for my boss and making her rich and what I was taking home. I'm like, why am I giving half? I'm giving half of the commission away just for like a phone line an office. I don't really need, I can work from home if I need to. And some recruiting tools only cost a couple hundred bucks, right? I'm like, wait, this isn't fair. Um, now, I wish I would have said that I had the courage to like pull a Jerry Maguire and just be like, you know what, I'm out of here and like grab the goldfish, you know, grab grab my grab my coworker and just start open up shop down the street. But what ended up happening was I got laid off. Right. I came into office one Monday. They're like, hey, we're winding down the whole uh tech division because they're grooming the company to sell it. And so they wanted to streamline operations. And uh yeah. And so I was like, okay, well, that sucks. I 
I went home. Actually, I stopped by the bar before I went home to have a couple of drinks to kind of sulk for a little while. And then uh, when I got home, I called my top two clients saying, hey, bad news. I won't be able to send you any more candidates um, because my company laid me off and the whole division. And surprisingly, my top two clients, they said, hey, John, like, I'm sorry to hear that, but you know what? Screw them. Like, why don't you branch off on your own? Just start your own thing and we'll sign with you. I was like, wow. So if it wasn't for those two clients, like saying that they'll follow me and like kind of giving me the confidence, I probably would have never done it. Right. I think I was just always doubtful. I was waiting for, um, I always had the thought in the back of my mind to start my own recruiting business because I think anyone who's good at their job at some point, especially if they have an entrepreneurial, you know, spirit, they think they kind of imagine what it would look like doing on their own, right. And keeping the lion's share of their, uh, of what they earn. But, um, I think like most people, I was kind of scared, didn't have the courage, confidence, lots of doubts, a lot of what ifs, analysis, paralysis, all that stuff. But when I got pushed out of the nest, and I think a lot of people in this time too, who might've gone recently laid off, they might, might be able to relate to this, but yeah, I said to myself, you know what? I got a few months of unemployment coming in. I could, I could survive not well, but you know, survive barely. And so I'll give myself three months to give myself a shot, you know, give myself the opportunity. And in three months, if this doesn't work out, worst case, I'll go find another job, right? Uh, but it worked out. I uh, started making higher, started getting paid. And that grew to like a, a recruiting agency over five years. So I brought in a partner, um, did really, really well. We did a seven-figure business and eventually sold it to my partner and uh, then fell kind of into coaching and kind of the rest is history. What do you wish someone would have been there to tell you at that time when you first got laid off and you were considering starting things on your own what what did hmm. what what did you not know then and what do you know now that you wish someone would have told you at that time you know a lot of it was just like ignorance like there's if you like i always think of this pie chart circle and you kind of cut the little like you know like uh, pie wedges just like what you know what what you know that you know, right? So I knew that I knew recruiting well. I knew how to get clients. That's what I know that I don't know, which is maybe growing a team and stuff like that. But then there's like the whole, the big, the biggest piece is like what I don't know that I don't know. And that was what really hurt me, right? So in other words, like I knew how to get clients by picking up the phone, smiling and dialing, like grinding, uh, doing tons of LinkedIn outreaches, you know, outreach messages, tons of emails, cold emails, manually, just really like working hard and outperforming everybody. But, and it worked, right? It's how I grew my business, but it took me like four or five hours a day of just like pure grinding and follow-ups and leaving third, second, third, and fourth voicemails. And that's how I thought you did it. Like, that's the only way I learned. That's how anyone ever taught me. No one taught me that, oh, you could set up LinkedIn automation campaigns that run on autopilot. So I don't have to do that. I could all, and you know, no one showed me how to set up email marketing campaigns that run on automation and autopilot too. So all I have to do is just respond to people raising their hand with interest. If I had known that from day one, it would have accelerated like my business by like three or four X, right? Um, I would have made a lot more money faster and had more fun, right? Without all the grinding, but I just didn't know that. Um, until so sorry to interrupt. I was just going to say, so it sounds like a lot of just learning skills that you would later come to learn, but you, you didn't have going into it. Yeah. Skills. And, and really it's not, it's more than that. It's like, um, I, cause I, I, I felt I was already a skill. I was a top builder in my, in my agencies, but I, it was like the tools and systems that I didn't know 
could I didn't know how to implement or even it existed. Then even when I built my uh, my program, Recruiting Accelerator, the 1.0 version was all manual grinding. It worked well, but and a lot of people just didn't have enough time in the day or willpower to do it. And so um, that's when I decided to like pause enrollment. But you know what? Like this works, but it's only working for the top 5% of people willing to like put in five hours a day, but most people don't. And that's not fair, right? So I'm like, so I thought to myself, how can I do this better? And actually this is kind of an interesting story. The way that I decided to implement automation was because I had a customer ask me for a refund. It was my very first refund request. And I was like, shoot. And I was like, I had, this never happened before. And at the time, you know, my program was only like 6K, um, and, and which is a lot of money, but it, my program is more expensive now because it's, it's a lot more robust. But still at the time, I'm like $6,000, I have to like hand that back. And so I was thinking about it and, um, you know, eventually I, yeah, I gave him the refund because I realized like he did everything right. I just, um, yeah, he, he followed everything to a T, it just didn't work out. And I, at first, you know, after I went through the motions of like feeling frustrated, upset, like confused, I then asked myself, you know what, how did I fail this person? Like what, what did I do to make him not succeed? Like if I could take hundred percent ownership of my program and the process of my coaching, like where did I let him down? And I realized, you know what? I didn't make this easy enough. I didn't make this automated enough. I, I made this require way too many hours. He had a family of you know, three kids and just couldn't find time in the day to do the volume of work it needed to move the needle. So at that point, I literally paused enrollment for like six months. Like I'm like, I, I don't care if I don't make money for six months. I need to build a better mousetrap. And then, but so I always knew that automation existed, but I just never learned it. No one taught me. So I had to go um, enroll in programs and hire coaches who were like, I hired a LinkedIn automation coach just to teach me how it worked. And then I learned how to apply it to recruiting, you know, tested it myself. I then hired an email marketing expert to teach me how that, that all works, the domain setup and and warming up a domain, all the technical stuff. And then I tested it out for recruiting agencies and how to apply to get clients and it worked. And so then I repackaged it into a 2.0 program that we're running now. At the moment I launched that, like results just came, it just came pouring overnight. Like it was incredible. Uh, where, you know, people were getting clients within hour, getting clients within days, right? Getting responses within hours and getting deals within like 60, 90 days. Like these are 20, $25,000 deals because automation works so fast at scale that I'm like, holy cow, I wish I knew that from day one. So that's, to answer your question, it's like that sort of thing that I didn't know that I didn't know, right? The systems and processes. We've talked about this a little bit off air and, and in our talks before about how you wish you had a lot of these systems and processes and you've had major breakthroughs along the course of your career because you went out and got that coaching or took that mm -hmm. program. It reminds me of something that Alex Hormozzi talks about a lot, about how in his 20s, his big emphasis was, I, I'm not sure if you've heard him say this, he calls it the S and me 500 instead no, of the yeah. S and P 500, yeah. like investing in the S and me 500, yeah. like investing your money into coaching programs, mentorships, that kind of thing to really build this, the knowledge of those systems and processes to really elevate you above your competition. Mm -hmm. Imagine, and, and so it reminded me of your process a lot and what really made the difference for you. Imagine I'm someone who maybe just started their own business or is thinking about starting their own business, maybe has a side hustle on the side that they would like to take full time. What are the first steps and how do you figure out what you need to learn most to bring in systems and processes like that 
where do you go looking for that kind of thing? And how do you choose what's going to be the mm. best investment of your time? Yeah. Uh, and you mean uh, not just recruiting like across the board in general for any type of entrepreneur? Yeah, I'm sure it's going to be different from mm. field to field, but yeah. some of the things that apply more broadly, I guess. Yeah. So um, here's something kind of funny is like there's a correlation or relationship between how much you spend and invest and the results you get. Like when I first started, I couldn't afford any programs. So I like was watching YouTube content and like down, downloading random courses that I could find on it that's floating on the internet. Right. And I've yet to meet anybody that's made a success from absorbing free content on YouTube and everything. And I think Alex Hormozzi talks about this too, where like you, uh, you want to like pay for your content. You want to like, yeah, like, um, I'm always wary of free content because if it's free, then usually you're the, you're the product. Like they're trying to sell you on something, right. Versus if you pay for something, um, not only is the quality better, the content better, but, um, the, your, your, the, your investment is higher and you'll take action on it. Right. Um, so for example, like this past year, I enrolled in a mastermind program for business and marketing and the tuition is $68,000 a year. Right. Which is, it's crazy, but, um, you better bet that every time I go to an event or a, a, a training, like I'm all in, like I block on my time. I'm hundred percent focused. Cause I, as a human, I, uh, you know, logical human being, I want my ROI or I want that return on investment. So I take it very seriously. And then of course, like I, I made that back very quickly, but if it was a, free, if I got it for free, I would be like, eh, you know, I, I wouldn't take it that seriously. So I think the first bit of advice, um, for anyone looking to accelerate their growth in their business and get things going faster is actually like spend some cash, even if it's a little bit like that will just change things night and day. Right. It doesn't have to be a lot, but I would invest. And for me, I kind of have a system where every month I take five or 10% of what I make and I invest that towards leveling up. It's just kind of like a thing. And as I make more money, I have to spend more money, invest more money to level up. So it just becomes like a normal you know, thing I budget for, right? Um, so that's why right now in between like the mastermind, I have a personal trainer, I have a therapist, I have, you know, I, I, I go to this, those float spas and, and, and rest. I have, I, go, I have a masseuse, like I just have to, and then that ends up paying itself back because then I'm a better version of myself, right? So I just, and then, uh, and when I meet with my finance, my, my CFO every month, she sees like, okay, 5% of my, gross uh, income gets reinvested in in training. I think that makes a lot of sense. It's a, I think it's smart to have like an actual target amount because that's something anyone can take action, right? Right. Or take action on, right? Anyone right. can say, I mean, if you're making $100 a year, you could take $5 and invest it into doing something new. If you're making 100,000, you could take five. Right, exactly. Whether it's a, thing, it's a book or like a, web, a cheap webinar or like a full-blown expensive coach, right? It does a spectrum, but yeah, start with something. And then just kind of level that up along the way. Mm -hmm. One thing I've observed about you with your story is that it seems like you have this knack for identifying the areas that you need improvement on and being, I, and I think that happens more easily said than done. Mm -hmm. I think it's a, it's often very difficult for people to recognize their weaknesses and their shortcomings. And so I've, I've definitely noticed and observed that you have this knack in your story for identifying those areas of weakness or shortcoming and knowing when to 
work on those or invest in improving on them. Mm-hmm. Where does that come from? How does someone how does someone identify that for themselves? And walk me through the thought mm. process of of deciding what that thing is that you want to level up on and and choosing what you want to invest in. Yeah. So a lot of times I'll ask myself a question, which is what's the most draining thing that I'm doing right now in my life or my business, right? What's the most draining aspect of my business right now to me? Like I just, you know, begrudgingly do that, that I hate doing, but I feel like I have to, and it's also difficult. It's not in my wheelhouse. And then it makes it very clear. And this comes up a lot with uh, the recruiters I trained because they're like, oh, I spent like three hours last night working on this website, but I, I don't, I can't get it right. I'm like, hey, like follow the program. Like you can literally pay somebody overseas like 20 bucks and they'll make a more beautiful website in like half an hour than you can spending a week on it. And they're like, oh, I, they're like, I didn't know you could do that. Right. Like, so there's, if that website is a, is a draining thing, then you don't have to do it. Just outsource that. Right. And, and then, then you can, but what might be draining for other people, but not for you, let's say getting clients, talking to clients, then you should do that. Right. So I, um, and, you know, and the, and the way I come to that, right. Like the way I like can figure out what's draining is just by giving myself time to like reflect on that. Right. I think a lot of people and a lot of mistakes I made in the beginning was, and Hormozy talks about this all the time is that like more work and more hours isn't like always better. Like you hit a diminishing returns quickly over time. And like, I think inspiration and insight and like those aha moments, they don't come when you're like in grind mode, like looking at four different tabs on your you know monitor at four different wind, uh, four different screens. It's like when you're not looking at anything, not reading a book, not on the phone. And you're like, you know what? Huh? All of a sudden, like you're in your shower, right? Like That's why I have, we have a thing called shower thoughts because you're like, oh, like you're not thinking of anything. And then this insight comes about. That's, you know, you know, I really should invest in this. Or what if I did that? And uh, in fact, in my shower, I have a waterproof shower uh, notepad. I don't think we even talked about this off air. It's called, uh, I forget what it's called, but the pencil says something like no more bad ideas down the drain or no more good ideas down the drain. So I have a waterproof pad <laughs> with a with a pencil and I'll be in my shower. I'll be, oh, you know what? I should do this. I don't like jot those. So sometimes I'll be in an hour for, shower for an hour, just like having like four or five pages. That I just kind of like slap on the, I'm like ripping it off and like, you know, putting them against the, the wall and I'll come back and put that into like a organized system, right? To like implement it. So um, that's why I do things. So I take time out of my week to like walk the dog to, um, I do uh, these float spas and it's like the sensory deprivation tank where you go in and it's like salt water and, you know, you close it, you can't see anything, you can't hear anything. And it's deeply relaxing. And I get a lot of my best ideas and insights just from that. So I have to schedule. And because I'm always on all the time, I like being on. I have to schedule like off time to like go deep off. And that's where I get the insights. You're like, oh, you know what? I, I should move in this direction. This is really draining. I wish, how can I remove this from my life? So a lot of the questions I'll ask is like, yeah, what is the most draining thing? And like, how can I, like, what can I do about it? How can I resolve this? Right. And then ideas will come up. I love that being intentional about scheduling the off time so that you can actually reassess things. And I might have to get the Amazon link from you offline for that <laughs> yeah. shower notepad. That's, yeah, it's ridiculous. that's so smart. <laughs> yeah. But then when, when I have friends that come over and they're like, you know, they'll crash and I always go to shower and they're always like, 
I only see some random notes. Usually they're inappropriate, right? <laughs> Things to like messy with me. Um, but yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Uh, I I want to get into because obviously we we've talked about this so far. We've talked about the fact that your ed, your actual industry is recruiting. So one thing that obviously you deal with all the time is the perspective of both the employee and the employer. I want to talk a little bit about how those two things become married in the best ways. I know we talked a little bit off air about the story that you had recently where you actually ended up getting someone from a recruiting firm that you ended up having to let go, I think just earlier today, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And you, you were telling me you had learned a lot from this already, just mm-hmm. kind of thinking back through the whole process. So I, I wanted to use this as an opportunity to talk about for, for both the perspective of the employer and employee, red flags in a new hire, um, whether that be coming from one side or the other, I think red flags that might be a sign that something isn't going to necessarily work out um, in a hiring relationship. Yeah, sure. Like, uh, so yeah, the story that we were talking about off air is that I hired a salesperson from an agency who I had to let go of like just a few hours ago. So it's very fresh on top of my head. Um, you know, we gave him a try for three weeks and just didn't work out. Right. And, uh, what, you know, it's funny as you're talking, what comes to mind is, uh, dating because <laughs> the, the, the dating and recruiting are very, it's very similar. They're both establishing relationships and, and building relationships, right. Sometimes out of thin air, um, and what made me think of it was that like, as I was interviewing the sales candidate, like I really liked him on paper. He looked sharp, professional, presented well. Um, uh, so I liked the way he looked. I liked the way he sounded. I liked the, um, his background on the paper, but something just didn't feel right. And the interview just didn't feel right. Um, but I, I made excuses for him. I'm like, you know what? Like, yeah, maybe he was, he was just nervous. He let's give him another try. Let's, let's go in and let's do a second interview. And. Let's give him a shot. And then I kept making excuses. Oh, he's having a slow start, but that's because he had bad habits. I know he can quickly unlearn them. And, and But all those times of me giving him excuses, it was just like things were going south, right? And it was taking so much of my resources where I was spending all this money on ads to fill his calendar. And then um, I was taking time away from my sales te- sales manager to focus on him versus other people on my team. Um, so it was this very, very expensive mistake. And like with dating, I feel like, right. I'm sure like we all know people that like had, they always make excuses for someone they're seeing until finally they're like, you know what we had to end it. Right. Like, or I broke it off because, and during the whole time, like, whereas you know, it's a kind of a cliche, but it's like, it should feel right from the beginning. Like you guys should hit it off and feel right and have the connection and the sparks should fly. Right. And, and then uh, it was blatantly obvious where I, I, because I have another guy starting on Monday, another sales guy, and we just hit it off. Like, between myself and my, my sales manager, we're like, we love this guy. He's great. Like everything about him, like a plus across the board. Like we're just like chomping at the bit for him to start. And when I felt that experience, it's like, I went on a bad date and a good date. And all of a sudden it was like a day and night right? experience. So that's from the hiring manager perspective. So trust your gut. It sounds like is the main takeaway there is if, if something doesn't feel right and, and you're making excuses for it already and there's yeah. something off, but you but you feel yourself kind of justifying things. Yeah, just just trust your gut, right? Which is a cliche, and it's like easier said. But also, like all that time spending, like meditating and walking and thinking, that helps to cultivate 
the intuition. And even though I know that I still made that mistake because I think I was in a situation where I really needed another salesperson and that caused me to ignore my intuition or gut feeling. So I'm like, all right, note to self, let's not do that again, right? Like that needs to work. Um, so that's from the hiring manager. From a candidate, I think the things that he did that led to this result that I think he could have done differently, like if I were in his shoes, what I wish he would have done is like um, just taking more like accountability for everything. Like earlier I talked about how I, I paused enrollment in my program, my, my first version, because of someone, you know, someone asked for a refund and I took that, like I was hundred percent accountable. Like I, okay, what could I do different? What could I do differently next time for the next person? And it resulted in me redoing my whole program from the ground up, right? So for him, I felt like he lacked that level of accountability where I was like, hey, this week, let's send um, personalized video messages to everybody who books an appointment just to introduce yourself, you know, get, you know, you know, get to know you a little bit, you know, talk about their application, just kind of build that rapport before. And that should help people show up and not not flake and feel like they, they kind of know you beforehand. Um, and he just didn't do it. He's like, oh, I didn't do it uh, because I was trying to focus on something else. So I guess as like from a Canada perspective, when you have these expectations, I think like probably best just to follow the process, trust the process until you like have numbers on the board or until you are like putting up results. And then at that point, slowly kind of like play some jazz at that point, right? But until you're putting up numbers on the board, when you're playing jazz, doing your own way, kind of being um, like a maverick, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not a good look, right? Agreed. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if you're bringing someone on for a position, I think you're going to have expectations that they follow your process and respect your process. And if they're throwing, if they've got a blatant disregard for that, it's not going to work out. Right. Yeah. That, and you know, he was also like, on the first interview, giving me suggestions on on how to change the business. He said, well, I'm entrepreneurial, so I think you should like change your offer to make it like this and this random stuff. I'm like, wait, I thought we we're talking about you know you for a sales role, and um, and and that was the first red flag. That I'm like, okay, like why is this guy talking about like telling me how to do my business? Whereas like it's not the right because uh, really that was should have told me like you know, this is lack of reading the room and social cues that later on as we was reviewing his sales calls he was doing it all over the place too where we did a call review I'm like hey why are you like making the surfing analogy about this like you know the calls are lasting twice as long and you're saying this random stuff this is not on the script this is not part of the process that it's tried and true he's like well i thought that or i learned this from this other course i wanted to implement here and i'm like oh like Sure, you can do that maybe after you, you know, you, you know, you've established KPI, right? So I think one thing that um, candidates, I think, fail to sometimes realize is that everyone's in a probationary period in the beginning. Like, like you're being watched and everything you do is really, um, they're looking to see you, you hit expectations quickly and that you ramp up quickly. So the more you can do that in the beginning and just be like, you know what, I'm going to keep my heads down. Like, yeah, it's kind of cliche too, right? Just keep your head down, work hard, follow the process. Once you've established yourself, then you can slowly expand, you know, your role, expand what you do, um, take on more responsibility, ask for more responsibility. But from day one, uh, that's that. And I think, uh, yeah, so that's just from the performance part. Maybe I'll touch on like interviewing as well, right? I think when people interview, they also sometimes um, could benefit from communicating the result of what they do. So they'll kind of meander into like, I did this, I did this, I did this, kind of a chronological review of recap of their work experience without tying it back to like, here's why it makes me a good candidate. 
So what's kind of crazy is like every time like I'll work with candidates, I'll, I'll have them like remove entire jobs from their resume if that particular job isn't conveying to a hiring manager why they should be a good candidate for a specific position they're interviewing for. So in other words, rather than having one like jack of all trades resume, if you if you have a broad background, you did some account management, some sales, some marketing, some personal assistant work, you're doing some retail, like a lot of people have that like really um, diverse, broad resume, which is my background. I had that. I was a bartender. I had all these different things. Instead, I had like four resumes, four copies of resumes, each one tailored for a specific job. And some of the resumes just omitted entire jobs I had because every time a hiring manager looks at a resume, they're thinking, okay, if there's anything that you talk about that's listed in your resume that you talk about in an interview that is relevant to the job you're interviewing for, it's like the happiness meter goes up. It's like, it's like, you know, like your odds of getting the job go up. If there's anything at all that's not relevant whatsoever, it actually like, it's not neutral, it's a negative, it lowers your odds, right? So if you're like applying for an accounting job, but then you were a customer service person, just because you put that customer service job because, well, that's a good job, it actually takes away from them, you articulating why you're good for accounting, right? So it's actually a negative. And people don't realize that. So, and people say, what, you want me to delete this? Like I worked here for three years. I'm like, I don't care, delete it. Like, because I don't care. And mostly the hiring manager won't care, right? Put something else. So you can kind of like, you know, play a little jazz or massage your resume. Um, so I hope that gives some candidates here or people on the job market some advice of like really creating specific profiles and tailoring it. And also your LinkedIn, if you're using LinkedIn, well, one, you should be using LinkedIn, but two, your LinkedIn should really match your resume or resumes as closely as possible. So that's that's one thing I do that the recruiter is really surprised about that um, I use because one person sent me a resume with one job title and then their LinkedIn profile said a different job title. The, the LinkedIn said something like founder of this company, but the resume had the same job, it said salesperson. I'm like, oh, this mm. guy just changed his title to like for this job, but his LinkedIn doesn't say that. He's not a salesperson, he's just something else. and when I see an inconsistency between what they put on LinkedIn and what their resume says, I'm like, to me, it's thinking, okay, which one is not true? Are you lying about your resume or are you lying on LinkedIn? Because you're lying somewhere and that's a red flag. And uh, the recruiter's like, oh, I never thought of it that way. Uh, I'm like, yeah, that, you know? So that's one little quick tip that hopefully uh, people can think about. There's a lot of people getting laid off like we talked about earlier right now. And I think, there's an ever present need to understand how to navigate this job market. Mm -hmm. We mentioned optimizing the LinkedIn profile. What are some other things that people can do, whether it's optimizing resume and LinkedIn profile or just standing out in general to help them get placed in a job if they're, if they've found themselves without one right now? Yeah. So uh, I'd say two things work well. One is to like keyword stuff your LinkedIn profile resume for the job you're looking for, right? Because as a recruiter, it's fairly simple. We're just going into like a search tool, typing in like job title of a candidate we're looking for, any keywords. So if you're like an engineer and you're looking for a job that does JavaScript, then you want to put JavaScript like in as many places as possible and first to like, not like your fourth thing, but your first thing. Um, because as a recruiter, when we look at resumes, even hiring managers, if you, you have a laundry list of different skills, we're only looking at like the first three or first two, those, those are what you do well. What you list number six or seven is like, okay, you probably like play with it once, but it's not your real skill set. Um, 
so if you're applying for a job that requires this particular skill and you list as number three, then that version of the resume should reorder it, should be number one. Right? And you should, you should like highlight those skills. So that's one thing, really highlighting your specific resume for that job, right? And in your interview, just talking about what's relevant. And uh, number two is as a recruiter, uh, obviously I think recruiters are very helpful. And so a lot of people I think have a unfamiliarity with working with recruiters because I think they think that, okay, if I work with a recruiter, they're gonna take money from my, I'm gonna get less of a salary because the company has to pay the recruiter something, right? So it's, it's to come out of my paycheck. And that's what I thought too, but that's completely not true. The company has a hiring budget that pays a recruiter. It doesn't affect your salary whatsoever. So in other words, like, why not use a recruiter who's going to go out there and like knock down doors and knock on doors and get you appointments, right? And uh, so usually what I tell people is, okay, if you're a candidate, step one, reach out to all the recruiters in your field, in your location first, before applying to any jobs online. Do not apply to any jobs online first. And they're like, wait, what are you talking about? Why not, right? Um, well, because like recruiters, we only get, uh, we can only represent a candidate if that candidate is already like is brand new, right? So if you're my candidate and and you say, hey, I'm just looking for a job. I'm like, oh, Brody, for your background, I know this amazing company, Spotify. They're looking for someone just like you, head of, you know, media. And I, I, I can I can call the VP right now. Like I've been working with for five years. They trust me. I can get you an interview tomorrow. Like he's going to love you. And if you say, shoot, I think I applied for that job online yesterday. Oh my crap. Now I can't represent you because the moment I send them your resume, they'll say, oh, we see that we have his resume on file. So thanks. But you know, like we'll take it from here, right? Like I don't get paid for that. If I know I'm not going to get paid for it, I'm going to not present you to that company. I'm going to go present you to other companies. All right. So it's best to like not even muddy the waters because recruiters, we have relationships <laughs> with the hiring manager that we can leverage for you. So step one, have all the recruiters leverage all their relationships for you. Give them like a week. If after after a week they should have already hit up everyone they know, then after a week then apply for jobs online. It's fair game at that point, right? But give us a chance to like get you in the door as best we can because especially if your like resume or your background is not exactly cookie cutter that they're like the the job you're looking for. If I call a client and I like you as a candidate, I can like champion you. I can say, hey, I know this candidate looks a little bit off the mark for what you're looking for, but trust me they're great. You're going to like them. They can do the job. And the hiring manager, a lot of them will say, well, okay, well, you know, I trust you, John. Sure. Why don't we set up a call? Right. But, uh, yeah. Reminds me of, uh, the same way that in, in the legal industry, a, an attorney has to check for conflicts before they can tell you if they can work for you or not. I yeah. had never thought of that, but it makes perfect sense if you think about it, because a company's not going to pay a recruiter if they've already got the person, in their database, it makes no sense on their end, but they're also probably not going to consider the person the same way that they would have if the recruiter was selling them professionally and, and utilizing that relationship. So I, I think that's a very good tip. Yeah. And then like um, lastly, when they meet I with be the recruiter, uh, they, they should take that meeting with the recruiter almost as if like they're a hiring manager, because the more we like you, the more we'll like represent you because uh, we're taking a risk every time we present a candidate. And so if you come to the meeting with a res uh, with a recruiter, kind of like not prepared, fast, kind of sloppily dressed on Zoom, we're like um, we're thinking, okay, we're not going to send you to our A plus clients. We'll send you to our C level clients because you're obviously a C level candidate, right? But if you come in ready, presented, ready to go, sharp, A game, 
then we'll be like, you know what? Wow, I'm gonna put him in front of my A client, the best client that we have. And so uh, we have a lot of pull that I think a lot of people don't realize. And we have all these jobs that we're not, we not we might not show to you. We're only gonna show you the job that we think that you're you'll be a fit for, right? Yeah, because you you wanna you wanna keep those relationships good and not show candidates that are not going to ultimately get hired. It, it doesn't exactly. make sense for you. Yeah. I have a couple of closing questions for the podcast. I know we had um, a kind of a time frame we were working with here. The first question that I have for you, John, is if you could go back in time to the very beginning of, let's say, going off on your own and starting your first recruiting company, having the wisdom and the knowledge that you have now, what are two things that you would do differently or tell yourself to do differently? Yeah, I would... Um align myself with more people who I want to aspire to be. Like when I, when I first started, I was very much in a bubble. I was like me, my, me myself and I and, and like my bedroom working and being in a very like closed loop circuit. Like, like I didn't really know what I didn't know. I wasn't exposed to a lot of things. So if I was just, even if I joined free memberships, other groups that just kind of got plugged in right to, the, to, to, to see what's out there more, it would have accelerated. I, I think I was a little bit um, too much in the bubble. Like, cause I thought I knew it all. I thought I could do it myself. Um, and it wasn't until I met people that like coaches, programs, different things that helped me accelerate that, that really hit success. So just getting out of my, like, like you know, picking my head up, right. And just getting out of my own little bubble would have helped me a lot. I love that. I think that's a really good tip. And obviously, I mean, you could see through your story, how that did really work out for you and help you level up. Yeah. The other question that I have for you. So the show is called profession session. And I very much enjoy breaking down the question of what it is that makes a truly successful and great professional, what leads to professional greatness. So my question to you is, what does it mean to you personally in your professional career to be a professional? I think it probably goes back to uh, the point I made about being 100% accountable for the result. Even if it wasn't your fault, I almost assume like it's my fault. So. Like uh, when I'm when I'm doing sales and uh, uh, it was a really good call, but it didn't you know they ended up not buying or had objections. I would think to myself, you know what, a better salesperson would have helped them like cross the finish line, helped them get out of their own way, right? Would have enrolled them. If it was a marketing, you know, a better marketing person could have done better. Like what what am I missing? So I'm always like asking myself, like what. How could someone who's better, what would they have done? And if I don't know that, how do I go out and find that? Versus like blaming the person, like, ah, like they're flaky. They didn't show up. They they gave up on the sales, right? They 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 wimped out. Like they should have done that, right? They're making a big mistake. You know, we tend to be like, it's easier to blame people, situation, the world, the economy for your result versus like just completely being humble and open and kind of uh owning up to that but it's hard to even have that mindset unless you're around people who are humble accountable and that's kind of leads back to like just being around really good high level people um, that you aspire to be and uh, they'll help you kind of follow there you know kind of like i think if it's joining a, a community a group people program whatever where like your desired goal is the norm right that's why i have a personal trainer because when i go to the gym and everyone's like in super good shape i'm like wow like that's that's the norm like all of a sudden, like my goal becomes this baseline, so that it just pulls me up to 
you know, we all as humans want to reach like baseline, the average, the homeostasis. When we're running a marathon, we don't want to be in the back of the pack. We want to be at least in the middle of the pack. So as I keep leveling up the groups I hang out in, like it naturally pulls me to the middle. And usually that middle is way higher than where I originally started. I think it's important to, when you feel like a big fish in a small pond, to find a new pond so that you can be a small fish in a bigger pond. Yeah. Because eventually that fish will grow. It reminds me of quick little anecdote. I remember in college, uh, the the gym, I went to UCF here in Orlando, massive school, massive gym, and I was just getting into working out. And I just remember going in and being the smallest guy in there by a long shot. Yeah. And a lot of people didn't like that, but I I just found myself loving it cuz I was like, "Oh my god, I got to I've got to work so hard now because I'm the smallest guy here. Everyone is way better than me and yeah. it really pushed me and and held me accountable." So I, I think it's very important to to find those new big ponds for yourself. 100%. Absolutely. Well, John, uh, how can people find you if they want to find your coaching program or the other work that you've done? Sure. Yeah. Our website is recruitingaccelerator.com. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, John Chintanero. Uh, we have lots of free trainings and you can watch our case studies, find someone that resembles your life story. And that might give you some inspiration as well. If you're looking to do this, uh, have your own recruiting business lots of resources for you out there. Awesome. Thank you again so much for coming on. It's been a very insightful conversation with a, a lot of really great insider tips. I feel like I could get hired for anything right now. <laughs> Thanks, man. It was a lot of fun. I appreciate it.